Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Management Minute Home Team Podcast, the podcast for outcasts working at home during this global pandemic. This podcast is a service of the MBA program in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. Our goal is to make working at home work for you. My name is Scott Hammond. I'm a professor of management, a consultant, and an author. And this is the third in our five-part series on unemployment. I'm going to begin today with a story. See, Robert got the news, the news, right? There was no easy way. He was part of the COVID cut. Sure, he'd been with the company for less than a year, but his work had been highly evaluated. He was well-liked. He was seen as a professional. He had high marks in his work. There's no sense in arguing about it. He was out. But within three weeks, he was working again. How did that happen? Well, he had a slightly higher salary, a better company to work for, people to manage now, uh, what you'd really call a promotion. What did he do? Now, this is a true story. What did he do? It was very strategic what he did. I mean, really, within minutes of getting the news of being laid off, he let his family know, and then he began to let his network know. He made a network map. How do you make a network map? Well, the first thing you do is you you put your you get a big piece of paper and you put yourself in the middle, a picture of yourself in the middle. And then you start drawing all your primary contacts. Who are the primary people, the people you come in contact with a lot? Yeah, they're going to be family members. They're going to be uh, neighbors. They're going to be people you know really well. They're going to be bosses and former bosses, people in your current company where you just got laid off. And then people from professional organizations and clients and competitions and suppliers and maybe government regulators, but people you know professionally. And then once you started building the map, make a list of everyone who might know where you can find a job and start calling. Now, hold it, you're saying. Hold it. What about LinkedIn? What about Monster? What about those kind of things? Well, I'll tell you really honestly that research shows that 50 to 60 percent of all jobs happen because of social networks. And I'm not talking about LinkedIn social networking or Facebook social networking. I'm talking about using your social network. The second thing that research shows is that it's not your primary contacts that give you a job. If you call your mom or your dad and you say, Dad, I got it. I'm unemployed. Mom, I'm unemployed. Uncle, I'm unemployed. Brother, I'm unemployed. They're not going to be able to give you a job. 
But what they can do is give you somebody who might be able to give you a job. They can call people. They can help you find people who can give you a job. And that's true with your friends and your neighbors and the people you play golf with and play tennis with and crochet with and do anything with. These are the people who link you to the people who give you a job. So it's your secondary contacts where you're most likely to find a job. Now, Robert's new company was just sitting down to a stack of 300, yes, 300 LinkedIn resumes. Oh, yeah, they didn't get them just from LinkedIn, but they got them from all over. And they had 300 potential people. And they were kind of putting it off because they didn't want to go through that stack of 300 because you know how much time recruiting takes. And then they got a phone call from somebody who knew Robert. He happened to be their banker, somebody they did business with. And he said, you know, I know you're looking for somebody, and I know this guy named Robert, and he might fit the position you're looking for. Would you like me to call him up and ask him to apply? Well, two hours later, they got another call from a former employee, somebody who was their champion. And he said, you know, I know you're looking for this kind of a person, and I know this guy named Robert, and he might be just the fit you're looking for. Would you like me to ask him to apply? Suddenly, they've heard about him twice through their social network. Meanwhile, Robert's over here doing that second thing that's really important. He's making a career target map. Remember we talked about that social network map? Well, he's making a career target map. Now, think of a career target map as a target, right? The big circle, the big thing is the job you just left, right? It's the job within reach. It's the easy job. It's the thing you know you can do. It's based on your past performance. That's the easy thing and the target to hit. You just got to get that job and lots of possibilities in that one, right? Then you go in one ring, it's a little bit narrower, a little bit harder to hit, but it's the job you could do. It's the job that's a little bit bigger challenge. It's the job that's a little bit of a stretch. It's the one that you didn't quite have before and you really want. It's the job that if you got it, you'd feel like it was a gift, a great opportunity, and it's based on your aspirations. Now there's a narrow, narrow, narrow target that you can hit right in the middle of bullseye, and that's the ideal job, the job of your dreams, the thing you really, really want to do. But it's based on aspiration at a level that maybe others won't see your ability to do that. And that's a hard one. Sometimes you land it. But it's more likely that you're going to land in one of those two other two circles and move to the center eventually. But you have to be ready to go to all three. Now, the probability of getting that first job, that uh, kind of basic job, yeah, that's pretty high. The opportunity job, that number two job, that number two layer, that's a pretty, that's a harder one to land. But you could get that one possibly. Number three is a hard one to hit. It's really hard. Well, 24 hours after being notified that he had been laid off, Robert got a call from two different friends. And both of them told him to send in the resume and told him who to send it to. And both of them told him there would be management responsibilities. So this would be a little bit of a promotion. So he sent that number two resume, that aspirational resume, that stretch resume. Robert faxes in his resume, and now he's at the top of the pile of 300. They already have the references, so they don't need to call them. And they call him in for an interview. 
course, the first question they ask is, can you manage people? Because we didn't see that you had experience in doing that. Can you manage people? And he is ready for that question, right? He says, I have trained. I know leadership. I've worked on this. I took this seminar. I took that seminar. I've managed contract work. I've managed people in volunteer organizations. I'm ready to take that step up, and I would be anxious to learn that, and I know that you would mentor me, and that would be really nice. So he's honest. He's 100% honest in that interview question, but he's also excited and aspirational, and they find that energy to be really, really positive. Well, then they ask him for that portfolio because he's in a work area where they have portfolios, where they have evidence of work. And so he sends that immediately during the interview. He sends it. Why? Because he knows that there are 300 people in that stack. He doesn't know that number 300, but he knows that there are a bunch of people who want this job. And he wants to make sure that they don't even get a chance that they see his portfolio and they can see it before the end of the interview and they look at it. Well, a second interview is scheduled, and it goes just as well. And after that, an offer is extended. He accepts. He celebrates. He goes on vacation. Then he calls his former professor, that's me, to brag. This is a quote from the email I got from him. My first reaction was gloom. I'd lost my confidence. I'd lost my job. I wondered if I could get a job because I couldn't even keep this one. But I'd helped others find jobs. I'd worked my network a lot. So when it was time to get help, I didn't hesitate. I called people. I told them I'd been laid off. I asked for help. I asked if they knew someone. And several of them volunteered to make some calls for me. When the offer was extended, it was a promotion. And I was ready to show that I was ready. I was excited and appreciative. I was positive. I knew that they could go to the Internet and find a lot of people better than me. So I wanted to make sure that they never looked. Well, is that a happy ending or what? I think it's a great ending. There are two lessons that we get from that first. The jobs still come from social networks. LinkedIn, Monster, all of these things are important. But usually those are screening mechanisms, not so much mechanisms where they discover you. And it's so much better when you come in the front door through a recommendation and get put at the top of the pile. So work your network, not your primary network, but your secondary network. You're going to have to work your primary network to get to your secondary network. Second thing is be ready to reach. Be aspirational, but also be realistic. They're not going to make you CEO when you have no management experience, but they may take you a notch up. Thanks for listening to the Management Minute podcast. Each of our podcasts are designed to support you with your work at home during this COVID pandemic period. And we'd love to hear from you what's working for you and what's not. So please email any suggestions or ideas or just conversation to me at scott.hammond at usu.edu. That's scott.hammond at usu.edu. Thanks for listening. I'm Professor Scott Hammond. Hope to see you in one of our classes.